Oh, this is good. This is the Revelations podcast. Here we are. Episode right. number three. Yes. I'm really excited about our guest we have today. Yeah, I'm GM. Awesome. And I'm Snotty. Welcome, welcome. Um, so, got to be here. Without further ado, <clears throat> we have the man, the myth, the legend, the rock star's rock star. Mr. Butch Walker. I've not been called that many great things in a row in a long time. Really sweet. Even a better family guy. Even a better <laughs> father. Try. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a challenge. We just had that conversation. Yeah. Off the mics, we were talking a lot about that and how every day is a yeah. every day is a new road uh, when you're dealing with, especially yeah. a teenager. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, and we all have and like we were just saying, they all have their own. Uh, issues and their own dreams that they want to push and you know so you just got to get on board with that without a doubt and that's what we're about we're yeah about chasing the dream the la story the la story i like it i love yeah. this it's good when right? you told me about this i was like oh i'm all about it man i love los angeles it's been really good to me i mean i've spent more of my life more of my life here than i have anywhere and i'm from georgia well i didn't know I, that i thought you were primarily uh, you know well, back that's in what's, the South, when but, you do them when i'm doing the math now it's like um you know, I I call Georgia home, even though I don't live there anymore. Right. Uh, Atlanta is my hometown that raised me and, and turned me into a musician. Uh, I lived there for 16 years, but I've literally lived in L.A. for 16 years this time. I say this time because I lived out here for four years when I got out of high school right. back in 88. So when you and add it all up, it's, LA. Yeah. it's over 20 years I've been here. <laughs> And that's like more than I've lived anywhere in my life. So okay. I, I'm an Angelino, I believe. Yeah. Um, which is wild. As you know, Snotty's more uh, like a super fan, which is great. And you guys are friends, <laughs> very too. very sweet. I mean, we he's got a, tattoos. He's a good, he's a, he's a good bro. Yeah. I and I was, uh, you know, um, just looking into your background and, you know, because I, you know, I know your legend, by the way, a really good friend of ours, Mark Schulman. Love Mark So Shulman. highly of you. He's the best. We had him on the podcast a couple of weeks ago and I went to pick him up to drive him out because we were doing the shoot in Malibu and uh, he said just glowing things the whole time about you. Oh. And, uh, and you know what? He's that same guy. Whenever I talk to anybody in the business or the industry, if, if you light. mention his name, they go, oh, there's nobody who doesn't like Mark Schulman. Yeah. No, he's a ray of light. He's such yeah. a sweet, sweet human. And on tour, uh, I guess for anybody listening, they if, if they haven't heard that, he's he was the drummer for pink for years yes and yeah. and that's how i met him and know him because i've worked with pink on several other records and got a, got the pleasure of going on tour and doing her whole european stadium tour with her um which was a whole entire summer uh, which was incredible one of the best experiences of my life because i was out with my one of my best friends which was pink alicia and getting to hang out with her band every day that's so cool. and getting to play with them because i played in i played a, i did a medley duet with her every night during her set and so you know shulman was just uh just a a, a ray of yeah. light and it that's so funny because he calls her alicia too when we're talking he doesn't call her pink just, she doesn't like to be called alicia. that either yeah yeah, oh, yeah. i mean it's that's like, her brand that's her it's like yeah. careful what you get nicknamed when you're 17. i know right <laughs> butch that's, <it. laughs> that's I was, not my real name either. i know right um, I was really fascinated about um, how you kind of, because, you know, we talk about how you chase the dream. So I was really curious because I know you had a band called Bite the Bullet that ultimately yeah. became South Gang. Yeah. And he I did think, his research. And, oh, okay. yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. You had to dig probably pretty hard for that. And so. am, am I wrong or is that what initially brought you to L.A.? Is yeah. that you wanted to 
come to LA with your band? No, you're dead on. I was um, <clears throat> I was in high school in Cartersville, Georgia, which is where I was raised. Um, and I had a band, I had a high school uh, cover, heavy metal cover band, uh, because you couldn't get gigs anywhere playing original music in Georgia at the time. So um, you had to play covers. This was the late 80s, by the way. So, uh, you know, obviously the dream was move to L.A. because that's where it was happening. All the all the bands we were covering right. were from Los Angeles. So, you know, we we're playing Guns N' Roses and Motley Crue and um, even way lesser known, you know, bands right. from, from the L.A. Sunset Strip era. Right. And so, of course, we were just enamored and uh, couldn't wait. And I was the baby of the group. I was everybody else was already out of high school. They're waiting on me. Oh, wow. So we were just playing shows like, uh, you know, raising money to move to L.A., basically. So we were playing clubs six nights a week um, in um, in the surrounding area uh, in North Georgia, including Atlanta. Wow. And uh, still I was still getting up and going to high school three hours later every night after <laughs> playing three sets of covers a night uh, and getting in at 3 a.m. And so. Um, <laughs> but it was all working towards the dream of oh, coming to L.A. and well, chasing. Also, you're yeah. you're you're pretty tireless when you're six, right. when you're 17 and driven like yeah. that. So I'm like going to school with eyeliner running down my face and, uh, <laughs> and not caring one bit about it. I'm just like, I can't wait to see all you guys later. I don't I don't right. care about being here anymore. I can't wait. Until, and I only promised my dad that I would graduate because I tried to drop out um and leave earlier <laughs> and that was the hardest two years of my life was like waiting because 16 and sophomore at 16 i was ready to quit right i already knew what i wanted to do i already knew i wasn't going to college i already knew i was moving to la so i had to wait two years in cartersville georgia which was basically just footloose town right bible belt <laughs> you know tractors everything's sin oh every, no, there every was well instinct that you even, have is being i couldn't even play on. music with anybody in Cartersville because most people weren't even allowed to play rock music unless it was Christian. And so it was like, I had to find guys from out of, st out of town anyway to play with. So I found guys in the next town over that were already older and out of high school and troublemakers in their, <laughs> in, in, in their best way. Yes. And, um, and they were my brothers. So that, that, that became the, that became my high school like family. Cause I didn't hang out with anybody in my high school at all. And um, also what a training ground, right? Like for, for yeah. what you would, ultimately become is you know having that uh ability to get with older guys and and having your dad say okay you got to go to school but but i'm also going to chase a dream at night with these other guys i'm going to play these other towns i'm going to yeah you know. and, and honestly i could have quit and left but I, I i respected my my mom and dad too much to like do that because my dad wanted so bad you know, he, he, he wasn't, he, he didn't, he wasn't the smartest, uh, in school. He didn't do the best in school. And I think he just wanted to make sure that I at least finished it. Uh, because in case this rock and roll thing didn't work out, he's like, it'd be nice if you had a diploma and right. you could get a real job. Yes. But like, <laughs> at the same time, I think he just wanted me, he wanted me to, to make sure that I finished right. school. And I was like, I'll do it for you. And I, and he's, and he, he, they made a great compromise with me, which was thinking back on it from a small conservative town where a lot of parents didn't even want their, their kids right. listening to rock music. My parents said, you can, if you'll just finish school, we don't care if you go play right. in Atlanta six nights a week, which was an hour away, you know, you know, right. they were, they were like, we don't care if you play clubs, you know, six nights a week, as long as you don't, right. as long as you can keep your grades up and not fail. 
Right. So it's like basically they're so basically, so basically that's a C. Right. Yeah, right. C average. So I was right. like, if I make a C average, this I can do this, and they were like, yeah, you know, of course, but like try harder than that. And, <laughs> and so and so, you know, I ended up graduating with like all A's and B's, and still playing six nights a and week, partying every uh, night. Oh, and, like and going to school, every doing day. things that my teachers, yeah, would have never. Yeah, because we were talking about my, my hippie mom from Topanga, and it was kind of like that. She yeah. said, you know, as long as you graduate, I'll let you guys do it, especially when you got teenage boys. You're a single mom. You're working. How are you going to wrangle these kids anyway? So you make these deals. Yeah. And one was that we had to graduate high school. That was, and then, and then the rest of the time I could be in the clubs in Hollywood on the weekends yeah. underage. It didn't matter. You know, yeah. she'll let me do what I wanted to do. But so. and looking back on it, I'm glad I did. You yeah. Know? Look, and, and I, I mean, I couldn't imagine. I don't think. Well, first of all, I wouldn't have been able to really just up and move to the streets of Hollywood at 16 years old without it being a real problem. Yes. <laughs> um, so luckily, I waited till I was at least whatever you want to call the legal age right. uh, at the time to drink, the legal age to drive, the legal age to uh, sign a lease on an apartment, right. that kind of shit. So it was all good timing. One, it sounds like you also had the, uh, you know, the band together. So you all came out together. Is that how that we worked did. out? Okay. We did. We all moved out together. And that was the plan was like, save up the money, playing, you know playing Iron Maiden, Iron Maiden covers and any, anything we could do to make money. And then, um, and then finding a, you know, this was pre-internet, obviously this was pre anything. Right. This was the 1900s. So it was, so <laughs> in 88, you, it sounds like the 1800s now, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. And you had to move out to, you had to move out to LA in 1988 with zero experience of, or zero uh, perceptions of what, what, what to expect. Right. At, at all. What yeah. being from Cartersville, Jordan, Georgia, what was your perception of LA prior so, to coming here? MTV all I knew was MTV, yeah, which I was obsessed with because at that time, you know, that the 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 like the hard rock and metal scene was booming, and it was in the mainstream. So obviously, every other video on MTV and every other song on 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 rock and roll radio was by a band from LA. You know, it would go from Guns and Roses to Poison to Rat. To Motley Crue, to Van Halen, and so of course I ate that shit up. I ate it up. I loved it. It was my breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Right. And um, and so when we moved out there, before we moved out there, we didn't really have any expectations except for what we saw on TV, which obviously is not always the the the, the real depiction of what your life is going to (laughs) be. It's going to be chicks and Jack Daniels. No, the only thing that yeah and and it was a lot of that but at the same time you know it, it was not glamorous as right. most people think right. um but and, we were also talking about how it was the last great era that we've had of musical coming out of sunset strip where you know these guys from motley crew on down to poison on down to kind of roses were you know which you caught the tail end because didn't you come in sure. 88 i think you said 88 yeah uh, is the last where you can put flyers on a telephone pole and get people to come to your show and get a record deal and get signed and which find is exactly the what we did. Right, all we checked every one of those boxes wow. when we got out there within ten months. Wow, but it was but but you know it was the longest ten months of my life because I'd never been out of Cartersville, Georgia. I'd never been away from my parents' house, so it was a real eye-opening experience to say the least. Uh, but it was incredible because we definitely had like. You know, I think there was something great about not knowing. Right. Because now you can find out anything yes. and everything. You can you can zoom in on the apartment that you're going to be renting right. on Google and s- fucking see the bedroom even. Right. You yeah. know, you can see any like we had no idea what an apartment even looked like. Right. 
in, in, in California period. We just had no idea. We were just like, okay, th- let's just see how this goes. Because we talked about it on the first podcast. Snotty came out, you know, well, we, yeah, by himself. I, I don't though, know. If you I, know, because everybody know. peeled off. and you I, know. I don't know. if From the Carolinas, did. right? Virginia. Virginia. Yeah, yeah that's West right. Point, Virginia. Small right. town. Same kind of vibe. Yep. Cartersville. Yep. Tractors. Mm-hmm. Very rural. Like mm-hmm. 2,000 people. Yep. You know? And this is a trip as well because I remember driving in my small town in high school on the way to high school throwing in a Butch Walker record. Uh, it's know? funny. And That's here awesome. we are. Yeah, here we are. Yeah. Yeah. It up. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, did, I came out here. I had a couple drum opportunities, but um, I basically put the rainbow in my GPS. There it is. Packed the drums up. Ground zero. Whatever else. We did. <laughs> right. And yeah. then and then just came out here and figured it out. You know. That's amazing. It's like yeah. sink or swim. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly. That's right. really what you make it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my dad said the same thing. He's like, you regret the things you don't try. You know. So you should you yeah. should just don't regret going if it doesn't work out. Right. He said you're going to regret not doing it. Yeah. What did you say last time? You said uh, if we drown, we drown. Because yeah. we talked about yeah. the idea of that you got to go for it. You don't want to be on your deathbed saying. Yeah. And that's, hey, I should have yeah. tried this, or I really should have, you know, gone for that. Or... And that's what my dad said when I was leaving. He was like, you know, because I was sad when the day when the day came. I was like, oh my god, this is real. This right. is happening. I'm leaving, you know. But he was like, you you know, you can always come back here. You can always get a job, but you gotta you gotta go try it. And I thought that was cool, considering he was just a. Uh, he was just a you yeah. know a, a dude who grew up in a small town and joined the navy and yeah. did the, did the fifties nuclear family you know thing. He was really supporting you and chasing your dream, and a lot of people my mom don't get that. Well. My they mom, don't get that. Yeah, you know, they they get people saying, "No, you shouldn't do that. You should be realistic." Well, we talked about that. And, and my dad was not. He was begrudgingly. He was not as into it. Okay, but at first he was very skeptical, and uh, I think that was just coupled with his upbringing and his beliefs and. Uh, Maybe his his idea of what LA was too, and what oh, he might be in for. Definitely right? did not. Yeah, he didn't want anything to do with it. Yeah. Uh, and my mom though was extremely supportive, and like she was the unicorn, you know, in the whole in Cartersville. That was just this, um, you know, super sweet, amazing, vocally talented piano. Wow. Um, but you know, music was not like her. She it was it that wasn't her dream to like you know be a professional musician. She right. just was she just was inherently talented right. at it. But she knew that I wanted it, and I my, I was driven from the time I was a preteen. So she she saw she your was passion the one who helped me like, find gonna, find the ultimate music teacher, guitar teacher, and like got me on the path. And and yeah. I, I owe most of it to her. My dad is just a guy who, <laughs> who, who literally after I like made something of myself, so to speak, after le- leaving home right. and not asking for a bunch of money uh, from them or getting any money, right. uh, that's when the respect he could be shot, happy for shot up or, yeah, for exactly. he and I, and we became closer. Because we had our, you know, we had our teenage disconnect, of course, you know. Well, and probably in his mind, crisis. you earned the respect, you know, because that's you what it was. Yourself, you know, that's what it was. And um, yeah. charting your own path. You yeah. And, and I loved it because I wanted that relationship with him. I wanted to have that father son relationship. And it was not great uh, during my teenage years living at home. You know, he was going through a very dark, right. he was a dark human at that point and had, was losing his parents and was, you know, just. I don't, I don't think he was happy 
Right. And you know, that's a real thing. Yeah. It happens with people. The midlife crisis or whatever. Yeah. yeah it's right. real. And, and I mean, he, he definitely, you know, and, and you just chalk it up to when you're young, you're just like, you know, fuck my dad. Oh, he's, he's <laughs> an asshole. Yeah. You know, and it's like, no, maybe he's just going through some shit and right. you have no idea being a young prick. Right. What he's, <laughs> yeah. how deep it really is. That's right. That's yeah. right. And so he, you know, so we, we made up for a lot of lost time after I yeah. went out and kind of made it on my own. That's so, so cool. to speak. You know? and, and nobody's a parent before you're a parent, you know? No. They're, they're humans too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Are you the oldest? You're not the oldest. No, I'm the youngest. Oh, you are? Yeah, I got two older sisters. Oh, okay, cool. Who are wonderful. And we're all super close. And they, they've they always been super supportive of my of my dream as well. You know, they've been always there. They've always been at the shows. My sister, you know, they I, their record collection was my upbringing. So thank God that they loved right. such cool, eclectic, music because that's that's where i got it all yeah. from i don't even know if it was cool it was just <laughs> it was eclectic like because then like, it influenced you it did obviously. and it was all stuff yeah. that was popular it was all stuff that was on the radio because you know radio I, was the king then how could you be a music snob in cartersville georgia yeah you know, no, all you got was the radio <laughs> all you got was whatever they were selling at the local record store exactly. and what they were playing on the radio right. stations yeah and so you know but it was cool because they had bg's records they had you know um disco records like shot you know they had parliament and right. funkadelic but then they had all of my mom and dad's records like credence clearwater revival wow. and grand funk railroad and elvis and then and then um you know and peter frampton and and, and all these you know it was all the textbook 70s right. uh the staple the great records by that we still love that i still love those that, yeah for sure and, and those those heavily influenced me you know elton john and right. um you know records like that uh so it, it was it was cool to to grow up with them as like a, a little bit of um a, a barometer for what what I what I listened to right you know um one of the things that really fascinated me about your story is how fast it did happen for you when you came to LA because a lot of people come to LA and it takes years and years and years and a lot of struggle and basically within a year you guys got a record deal is yeah we got a record we got it we got signed to a Virgin records imprint called charisma virgin uh and it was uh within about I, and you know the details are foggy the older i get and, <laughs> um the the but it was definitely within a year that we got out there started hustling and you know the, the breakdown of how that works as you all may know and but not all listeners may know is that you get out there and at this day and age, which was 80, 1988, <laughs> every band on every street corner looks exactly like you. Absolutely. They're doing the same thing everyone as can, you are. Everyone can the play and sing on their them. asses off, like for that style of music anyway. Right. Um, and everyone is, is young, hungry, determined. They've got the best clothes. They've got their hair all crazy and teased out and they've got like everybody's so we were like these four rednecks from cartersville and, and rome georgia which was right up the street and um i always thought that was cool like for me i always tried yeah. to use my southern charm yeah to help me out help set me apart in different things you know yeah hey y'all well that's that was yeah. us and uh and i i credit jace uh from the band uh who, who is still my my best friend to this day uh jace fincher and, um, you know, he came out to L.A. when we went out there with the band and everything. And he was already about four years older than me and had some road experience and everything. But he was from our town. He was from Rome. I was born in Rome, 
uh, which was right up the road from Cartersville. So I don't want to be confusing, but Georgia, by the way, yeah, Rome, yeah. Georgia. So it was a little bit bigger city, but not that big uh, from <laughs> Cartersville, but big enough to find three musicians to move to LA with that wanted that, that camped out for Motley Crue concert tickets at the record store wow. on Friday nights and stuff <laughs> like that. And so that was us, but that was a fun era. Oh, so fun. Yeah. And Jace, you know, he, that that's one thing I've learned from him when, it, when you can be a chameleon and, do whatever you want and put on, have a put on all you want uh, because let's face it, you know, rock and roll is entertainment for the most part and it's a put on, right? <laughs> so we're all putting on, we're putting on, whether, whether it's putting on a certain uniform or clothes or, or makeup or hair or a, a, a stage, a, a flashy stage name, uh, you know, you're, you're going, you're, you're basically cosplaying, you know, whether yeah. you like it or not, <laughs> you're, you're fucking playing a role. And you're doing something that people uh, can see you be someone outside of your yourself. Right. Uh, Jace was never anything but himself. And it, in the long run, that pays off because he went out there and I'm thinking the first thing we got to do is like, we got to, we, okay, we got to lose the country hick accents, guys, because this is ridiculous. <laughs> we got to start teasing our <laughs> so, hair. We got to start putting. And we yeah. did, but like we didn't, but we didn't. Uh, you know, we didn't just come out there and go like, dude, rah, you know, like, we, like that would have been super fake. Right. But but Jace just hit his mentality was let's turn it up even harder. Right. Yeah. And so he's like, and, and and this guy has the best accent. It's the most lovable. And you know what? Like, the beautiful the, the southern southern charm accent. is a real thing. And he's honestly, he, he, <laughs> it he, is. He exudes it in spades. And um, and I mean, he was responsible probably for it half of our ticket sales when we had to like push pedal our own tickets for our own shows out there. And if you didn't sell a certain amount of tickets, you didn't play because it was pay to play back then. Yeah. It still is in a lot of ways. I know yeah. you didn't get a gig and get paid for it. Unless you were guaranteeing somebody you're going to you bring getting, 50 people. Yeah. You would get on a gig that would have five bands playing that night, a headliner that would be getting paid because they brought in the most people. Right. And then everybody else was responsible for selling like, 50 to a hundred tickets each. And if you didn't sell those tickets, you didn't play. And so here we are out there just literally walking behind the la the next band down the sunset strip who just gave a flyer and talked up to, to people to, Oh, you got to come see my band. We're, we're better than all these. We're different than all the rest. And, so, <laughs> and then, you know, but then Jason walk up and going, what's up, how you living? You know? Uh, and he's like, and it he, he was like talking to like, you know, like 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 your cousin or or your or your family right. member and uh and and i just remember sometimes i'd roll my eyes at it because i was just young and trying right. too hard at the time and and i'd realized that this was a system and it was working right because everybody was like oh my god well and what, who where are you guys from and yeah. immediately everybody wanted to just talk about the accents they want to talk about where you were from and they also were just like well, you guys seem different than all these other bands. And that was really the only thing that was making us any different was the <laughs> fact that we were just four country rednecks right. that, that had come out to Los Angeles. Mm. But know. it also speaks to what you were saying about sometimes if you're just your genuine self, if you stay who you are, that's enough. You know, that's that's what you need to do. It's that, true. that will get you there. I, and, and I learned a lot, a lot from him about that, that it's like, it's okay, you yeah. know. To, to just be yourself. And I struggle with it all the time because I've always, I've always enjoyed um, the musical chameleons. I've always enjoyed, you know, David Bowie and Prince and all these people that, that could reinvent themselves on every record and be, and play characters. And, um, 
Yeah, you got the cool. point where they're from, yeah. from Mars, you know. That's, exactly. That's, that's right. Yeah. yeah. And growing up, me, being my first concert, yeah. being Kiss when I was eight years old. Wow. You you absolutely uh, talk about the get, show, right? The whole well, also just like they were from they were from Mars. Yeah. You say they were from outer space. They were aliens. There's for no sure. way these guys yeah. go grocery shopping. <laughs> There's <laughs> yeah, no yeah. ways these these guys <laughs> mail off shit at the post office. <laughs> no. They are they are larger than life. Yes. And even if they weren't, and even if they did go grocery shopping, you would have never known because they were wearing makeup on stage and you didn't know what they look like. And um, so I was always into that part of it, of the mystique. uh, That was always really cool to me. So, but, uh, you know, going back to that, yeah, moving out to LA, we, we did get, um, uh, finally after that, that caught on and our people started coming to see our shows a lot. And I think also, and, you know, I don't want to sound cocky, but we, we got out there thinking that everybody was going to be so much better than us so we were scared thinking that oh there's no way we're going to be as good as these bands that have all this like they have all this la already on them you know they've got all this like training and then you get here and training basically they're not not all that (laughs) yeah what we realized is a lot of them couldn't um there a lot of those bands that were on the strip that were not signed yet or not not you know they were still local um and i think the reason why is because uh they didn't focus on songwriting and they, a lot of them right. just didn't have songs that grabbed anybody. Right. And we'd go see them play, and we'd see these bands that were the big drawing bands at the time, but not 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 signed, not national acts. Right. Local bands that probably would be the next big thing. But we were like, God, what, how come they don't? How come these songs are not? These these songs are underwhelming, you know. Right. And it made us try harder to be better songwriters. And that was the first thing when we got out there, because it's like, okay. I'm never going to be. Then the illusion was broken. It's these guys aren't better than me. We're just as good, if not better, because we focus on what it really takes, which is songwriting. Yes. And that drove us even harder. Right. So it made us go, okay, we can do this. Let's do this. So we, we, we buckled down and we wrote and wrote and wrote and, and, uh, and, you know, our first gig we played out there when we got out there was playing the whiskey. Um, and it was called the No Bozos Jam, put on by uh, who would be, become our good friend Rich Bartle, and um, he uh, he would put on this. He was a club promoter on the Sunset Strip, mostly at Gazzari's, which for yeah. Bill Gazzari, which which became the Key Club and a million other places, Billboard Live, whatever. It's a bunch of places. I believe it's like One Oak now. Yeah, it was most that. famous as Gazzari's. Absolutely legendary. Years. That was so many legendary. Yeah. It was like a whiskey, but it's not there anymore. Well, that's how it'd we be got... like if they tore the whiskey down. Yeah. The amount of what's, people that went. What's through. in the movie? Uh, Decline, uh, Decline of the Western yeah. Civilization yeah. Part Two. Part yeah. Two, yeah, yeah. With and Chris Holmes in the pool. Oh, and, yeah. I I wanted so bad to be in LA <laughs> from that, which right. is a weird thing to watch and want to live in LA because every right. it was dark. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's like, but it was like Jesus Christ, Carter was so boring. But it's I, edgy I, I, too. You yeah. know, that's what you, you're, I want to go when you're young. You want that edge. I want to be in a pool in leather pants. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's something enticing about that. You know. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And so, you know, we, we, we ended up uh, playing shows out there and our first song, our first show ever at the whiskey on that jam night, we only had four original songs to our names. So we had to play them twice because oh, we didn't true. even have enough originals. You know, Anthony Kiedis of the Chili Peppers talks about that. Like, it, I think they had yep. three songs and oh, the that's first awesome. several shows, all they did was play the same three songs <laughs> over again for like 45 minutes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, you know, you do what you, you got to do to entertain people as long as it's entertaining. Keep them, you know, keep them rolling. Without a doubt. Um, yeah. That said, you know, circling back to David Bowie and all those really unique characters, once you got signed, wow, Desmond Child, Paul Buckmaster... Bob Ludwig, all these legends the big in the names. music business yeah, were on to... your first, that first tainted, 
San Angel, Angel Record, was the name right? of them. Yeah, yeah. So we we okay. My dream was to work with Desmond Child because yeah. he wrote "Living on a Prayer." He co-wrote all the big hits that were out on the radio at that time oh, that amazing. I loved at the time. I mean, I was a teenager growing up in Cartersville. So when I heard Living on a Prayer first time, I was like, well, okay. <laughs> or even later in the 80s, uh, one of my favorite songs that he did was Alice Cooper's Poison. Poison. Which I thought the which arrangement he and the production on that was genius. It I still so this good. day, he knows I cranked that song. That's a, that's a real, that one stands up. Yeah, I mean, it, it still does. All these years later, you just like, yeah, mm -hmm. it's, it's great. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, we wanted to, we, I wanted to be better. And I wanted to be better than, than, just another band signed at that time because right. there was a lot of them getting yeah, signed. Yeah. We might have been the last one that got signed before it shut down. Yeah. Um, but that being said, we somehow were able to wrangle in Desmond. Tyler How did that happen? Well, because I think our, our label. He was Desmond Child already, obviously. And then Paul Buckmaster, who a lot of people wouldn't know, who's worked from everybody from David Bowie to Leonard Cohen. to. Yeah, he's a string Ford. composer. Right yeah, 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 yeah. He's incredible. And then Bob Ludwig, the great. Uh, mastering engineer who did everybody from Led Zeppelin to Nirvana to like, yeah. so all these amazing, yeah, we incredible, had, uh, established guys came right onto your record. Yeah, Mike, Mike Frazier, pretty incredible. It, who who mixed like all the big. We we were obsessed with Aerosmith, obviously. So like, uh, and and Desmond had written Dude know, looks like Dude a lady. looks like a lady and Angel and yeah. all you know a lot big, of big hits, big ones that brought them back. Actually, it brought them back from yeah. the dead. Yeah. and um and we loved them. I mean, we loved them pre and post. We loved them in the seventies. We loved them we loved them when pump and permanent vacation came out right. so so i think those were our those were our benchmarks right to try to hit and i say try because not many people could could hit that benchmark because yeah that's that's a tall order coupling <laughs> coupling a band that had the experience of being not only one of the best rock and roll bands of the 70s but driven to come back in the 80s and desmond child's help right was non which it, unstoppable did you guys realize how lucky you were at also they time? had a they had a they had a steven tyler yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true yeah we didn't have a steven tyler and i was not joe perry right so uh but but even still it was a good it was good training right and um our label was making us a huge priority that regardless of that scene waning right um we could see it before our eyes right. after we got signed that the time was running out and um but they were making it a big priority so i think when they went to desmond they were able to convince him to do it based on the fact that they were going to throw a bunch of money at us right and uh and he I think he he genuinely liked us, and so when we got together to work with him, you know, it was it was good chemistry, and I was able to really learn how to how to do this for real. He was my he was my Jedi master yeah. in learning songwriting. At, at, by by that time, I was not even twenty one. So. Yeah, that that really blew me away, honestly, because you guys came to LA chasing the dream, because that's what this is, this is your revelation story. But you know, you chase the dream, you come here. It, you know, even though it was kind of fading, you could see it fading before your eyes. You guys get that deal. Some of us could see it. And then did you guys realize how lucky you were to have all those major yeah. guys come in on that first? Very. Wow. And and we worked hard on that record. You know, we worked really hard on it, considering what it was and what we were. Uh, and at that time, you know, I mean, it was I think it was probably a good record for that for that era. Um, you know, I was not a. I was still learning how to write songs and I certainly was not a singer or a frontman. I was the guitar player in that band. And, and you still hadn't seen yourself as that or mm -mm. you didn't think you could sing or you knew you could well, sing. I, I shared the lead vocal duties uh, when we were a cover band because we played so many songs right. that like, that, <laughs> Gotta have the backing vocals and yeah. And I also or, would sing lead on, lead on, on like different on a lot of them. Right. 
Um, but that was just a different, that was a different concept. That wasn't your position. No, you go to LA in the late eighties. It was like, you needed the golden God front man. It was the whole, it was the whole, like, you know, um, template. And (laughs) he checked the boxes, you know, we had a really good looking bleach blonde, you know, shirtless front man, check, 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 all that with the high voice. (laughs) We could sing really high. Yes. Um, and, and, you know, we were, um, and we were really good musically. Like we were all very good at our instruments. Um, but you know, learning the songwriting skills, uh, being in a, being in a room with Desmond every day, learning, but especially with him at that point, which was, you know, he was, he was on fire. He was quirky and he was cocky and, and but talk about another dream coming true because so good you know you kind of got that whole setup with the band while you're in high school and getting that training ground but then you come to la all of a sudden oh. you're sitting with desmond child and forget writing. everything you think you know yeah and think you forget thinking you have that you've got your shit down and when talk about arrangement. He's like an that. amazing arranger as well. I love his arrangement on a lot of these tracks that he or the legendary tracks. I can remember being on. very humbled one of the first days going in and bringing and bringing in a song idea I had that was lyrics and uh, chorus, melody, and all that, and it was had love in the title, of course. <laughs> you have to. <laughs> and he was feeling he was feeling kind of uh, surly that day, and he just looked at me and after I after I sang it, he goes. And Desmond is very flamboyant and very, you know, uh, eccentric. And so he just looked at me and he goes, what do you know about love? You're not even a person. <laughs> so what is this the, redneck, the redneck in me wanted to like kill him right. for saying that. And then I go, oh, he's right. I'm like not even 21. I've never even been in love. Uh, right. I've only been having sex. Right. <laughs> like, I don't even know what it's like to get my heart broken. I have no idea. And I've been too busy is. chasing this dream to I, LA. So I, I really don't know. And I was like, yeah. he is so right. Wow. And That's I mean, he cool. was right on many levels. I mean, yeah. on everything at that time, looking back on it. And I've told him that as of recent, you know, right. that I'm like, you know, thank you for being so hard on us and yeah. for being so, um, you know, just for being a, a, a ball buster. Because I, if I wouldn't have had that yeah. at that age, I would have just thought my shit never stunk. And it would yeah. just, and it would have stunk. And yeah. I wouldn't have known it until it was too late. So it was really good. Tra- yeah. And I said, I've taken every bit of that, you know, uh, knowledge and tools and tricks of the trade from right. songwriting that he taught me all the way to now. Right. And, you know, Snotty and I talk about the whole chasing the dream, but also when you get there, there's going to be some pivotal people along the way. Yeah. So obviously Desmond was that for you. Super. Or one of those people. Very pivotal. Um, But you also have to be humble enough to go, okay, wait a minute. This guy's telling me I don't know what I'm talking about. So instead of getting pissed and wanting to, you know, whatever, peace out on it, then you get humble and then you learn so much more if you're willing to do that. Yeah. And it was really cool. Like, I can tell you a quick story. There was a really, it was a cool moment where um, he, you know, we did that record. It it ran its course. Everything, we can talk about that. I'll, I'll leave room for this. But like, you know, everything ran its course quickly with that, with that career, that band, that sound, everything. And then you know, fell out of touch, obviously never spoke Desmond and I never even spoke again. And that's what happens a lot in this business. Sadly, yeah. it's like, you know, you can spend enough time with somebody and then you're on to the next. And then, and then you never, you just fall out of touch or it's right. bad blood because it didn't work out. And I think there was some of that where we were cocky and insecure and lots of people were uh, in the camp. And so we just kind of fell out of touch because we were like, Oh, it's their fault. Not, not mine. Right. And vice versa. And so whatever. So, 
you know, that happens. And then, you know, life happens. And next thing you know, it's been, it was, you know, 30 years. Wow. You know, it was that long. Well, I, I'm trying to do the math because this was, I'm terrible at it too, but that would have been, let's say 1990 when we did that record. And then uh, let's, let's just round it off and say that I ran into Desmond again for the first time in years about maybe seven years ago. Okay. So I feel like it was probably good 30 years, 25 years. Okay. So yeah, 20. 25, yeah. I don't know. Um, but, but it was like, definitely, um, I walked into the American Airlines lounge, <laughs> getting ready to fly to Nashville. And I was with my family and, um, my son was very little then. And, um, and I just remember seeing this guy getting a water <laughs> and I was like, God, that's really strange. That I don't know why that guy looks so familiar. And I said, strangely, it looks just like Desmond's boyfriend from when we worked together back in wow. 1990 <laughs> when we would ride over at his house every day. And I was like, I don't know why that memory is coming back, but he looks just like Curtis. And then sure enough, Curtis walks over to this table and, oh, wow. and like in a movie the the crowd parts and I see Desmond sitting with two little blonde boys that are his, that are their kids. Wow. And I, and, and I'm like, Oh my God, it's Desmond. And I had to walk up and say, Hey, and I walked up to him and, you know, I obviously don't look the same as I did when I was 150 pounds wet and <laughs> eyeliner and long hair and, and, and hoop earrings and everything. But, but I, I guarantee he, he still knew who you were. Well, it was funny because when I walked up to him, I said, Desmond, I said, I don't expect you to remember me at all. I uh -huh. said, but I have to tell you, you know, I, I said, my name is Butch Walker. I worked with you years ago with a band that you taught me everything I know. And he stopped me and he hugged me and he goes, I've been following your career the whole time. Wow. Yes. He's See? like, I'm so That's proud amazing. of you. I'm so proud of wow. you. Oh, wow. And I was just, I was like crying. Yeah. Because it was just the sweetest moment and the coolest thing I could have ever heard from my hero, right. my songwriting hero. Right. He didn't forget. And full circle on the dream. You yeah. Know, you were chasing the dream and you were still in yeah. it, you know, and, and then it just came full circle back to him. Yeah. And he invited, so cool. he invited yeah. us uh, to come to dinner that night at their house because they were living in Nashville. Oh, wow. How cool. And, and so I was like, wow. we're there. I love that. And so we went over and we called up and had, so had cool. good cries, good hangs, laughs. Oh, it was just good. It was awesome. And so I still I still keep in touch with him randomly and we still have n nothing but great things to talk about. So uh, that's amazing. Yeah, that's wow. cool. yeah. I love this full circle stories and mm. how he became a fan of yours. I know. Right? That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. that made I mean, shit, that's like that's all you could ever ask. for. Yeah, that yeah. that is an emotional moment, too, because, you know, obviously he is one of your one of those pivotal people that we talk about. You know, you go to chase the dream. You're young. You don't really know it all. You think you do, but yeah. you don't. And then a few key people come in along the way. I think, you know, because this show is about encouraging people to keep chasing the dream. And, you know, when you take that leap of faith, those people or faith, those people will come in. You know, there will be somebody put in front of you that's going to, you yeah. know, really do what Desmond did for you, which is just. There's been a lot of yeah. those. There's been several, a good handful of. Key, yeah, he of was one of the people. first ones, but I'm sure there's for many sure. more you could mention. Oh, but, yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, how much time do you have? <laughs> exactly. So, so cut to Nirvana. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And then that whole era was done. Yeah, exactly. But you know what was so cool? Because um, in reading just all the different things that you've done after Tainted Angel, which, um, yeah. you know, it was uh, 
or South Gang rather. Yeah, because um, we did a couple of records. Yeah, and then you did, uh, you know, then you did. I think it was the Floyds. Next? Yeah, that was the right. band we started after that. So yeah. I mean, obviously, what happened was we saw the writing on the wall, uh, just like many bands did from that era, um, where all of a sudden, you know, you're walking into the label and there's big posters of Alice in Chains and right. and, and and Smashing Pumpkins and, and Pearl Jam and yeah. Nirvana. And so instead of being like, uh, uh oh, I was stoked because <laughs> i was ready to move on I and was that was like, really a light switch too it was as, as far as moments in cultural history and music history yeah. that was like you know one minute it was guns and roses and the sunset strip and all this very uh it pop. needed to happen and and, and i was super and then all of a sudden nirvana on. dropped a bomb on it yeah. was a whole yeah. it just, i remember the whole music shifted overnight it in really my did. apartment in la yeah. when that video came on yeah and i was like okay all right, so we're getting ready to put out our first record. <laughs> but but at the same time, I was already like, I was already let's 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 move on. Yeah, you know, and the label didn't want us to move on, of course, and certain band members didn't want to move on, and I was like, we're too young to be like over. Yeah. We're too young as we can't be over. And you had your foot in the door, so yeah. And, and some- sadly, as you know, a lot of bands from that era never saw the light of day as as musicians even after that because Uh they made just enough noise to where they made just enough noise in in that in that scene uh on a national scale um that it was impossible for them to have any respect at later like you the w bands yeah yeah the the wingers of the world sure yeah yeah. and it was really hard to like have any be taken seriously if you came from that See, and I'm, and, 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 you know, I, I fight with people all the time about this, you know, because there's definitely a lot of people that think, you know, I don't embrace my, my metal past or whatever. It's like, I talk about all the fucking time. Right. Can I not embrace it? I, I, it was an incredible time. And it makes you who you are. We've yeah, talked about that. I talk, too. All I, these I different wear things. I like a badge of honor, but I also was, I also was hungry to move on and to take in new things and new sounds and new styles and new music. I mean, how can you just like sit back and listen to one fucking band your whole life to me and and that's okay that's okay with you i couldn't i grew up on everything so i couldn't wait to experiment on other shit and so that's what that's that's why i was like this is our hall pass guys we can we can get out now we can get a get out of jail free card if all y'all want to stay and get stuck do that but i'm not we didn't want to i think it's still very apparent in your music Absolutely. The, the shred. Oh, I yeah. don't. I don't hold that back. Oh yeah, and the tricks, <laughs> I mean, I do hold it back sometimes your, because your show. Uh, yeah. Which one's you? Yeah. When we're seeing the picture. <laughs> yeah. Our engineer showing us a picture of there. Yeah. Our metal days. It's oh, good. Yeah. It's good. There's lots more if you want to oh, dig. That's good. There's gold in the hills there. So. But, you know, then it was the Floyds, then it was Marvelous 3, then, you know, it was uh, then your own solo career that started more towards the end of the 90s. Yeah, so, the, so we, we, we kind of 180'd. We were in China, of all places, touring at uh, at the very tail end of, of the hair metal band of South King. And... Um, we were we we got completely screwed this is a whole other podcast to talk about the china experience because it was six weeks of hell and six weeks of us of of literally learning breaking and training life and learning uh of any possible scenario that can go wrong is going to go and by the way we want to do that podcast okay and and, and (laughs) we all have time every possible thing that went wrong did go wrong (laughs) including you know inciting a riot at a show oh my god uh, at the second to the last show so they sent us home before we did the last show they sent us home no explanation 
you know, dropped us off uh, from a train ride in Beijing at the airport uh, with our tickets and none of our gear, no nothing. Um, we're like, we don't know what to do. You know, there, we, we couldn't speak the language. There was no phones back then. Yeah. There was no, well, there was like being on an alien planet. No internet. Yeah. And, um, and, and also them like not paying us for the whole entire trip that we were over there because they said that we didn't fulfill the breach of contract, but they breached it. Right. <laughs> and, um, and so here we are literally at the airport, just clueless, like kids, <laughs> kids going like, what, what are we going to do? How the hell are we going to get home? What are we do? What, what about our gear? Where's our gear? Um, you know, it was a crazy scene. I'll, I'll save the rest, but like, um, you know, at that point we broke the band up like that day it was over. It was like me and Jace and Slug said, let's go form that other band. We've been kind of talking about in soundcheck every day. And that other one was marvelous three. Uh, it would eventually become marvelous three, but it was the Floyd's first, which was actually Floyd's funk revival was the long (laughs) name. Then we shortened it a few years later to the Floyd's. And, um, and we, we just kind of got back when we got back to the States, um, and finally got our gear back and whatever. Um, we, uh, we started immediately new band. We left the label, we left everybody and we just went back and we were like, we, if we want to do anything right, we're going to do it ourselves. And we had not known how to do anything ourselves because we mm-hmm. literally jumped right into a major record label deal with, a, with producers and songwriters and everyone ho- label guys all holding our hands, you know, even the tour that, even the tours that we did back then, you know, everybody, it was like, we had, we had our first tour, we had road crew and everything. So it was like, we had no idea what, what the real world was like and what DIY even meant. The so punk rock spirit. And that's what we, we, and that's what we embraced. We embraced it. Just Mm -hmm. making it happen yourself. Right. And that's what we embraced from that day forward was like, if we're going to do anything, we're going to do it ourselves. And we did, we did everything ourselves. That's amazing. We did it for a decade straight. You know, we toured 200 shows a year, easy, uh, in a van. And that's amazing. Doing all that yourself. That's, that's people who haven't ever done that. Don't understand Mm -hmm. what a, what a monumental task that is to do all that yourself for 200 shows a year to yeah. get your shit on the road. To- oh yeah. Going to tape duplication yeah. plants to get our cassettes made right. to sell the shows, going to Kinko's and doing the artwork ourselves right. and folding the J cards in right. the van and, right. and, and assembling the cassettes so that we had enough to even sell to right. get gas money to the next town. Right. And we just would play places for a hundred bucks a night, wherever we could play. And we'd right. play all over the U S and and we just rolled and that's how we did it we didn't care and we did it for that for all of the 90s wow that's amazing and what are what are snotty's favorite words for this um because he came up with the concept for this podcast the revelations podcast to just have the stories you know sit down and just tell the cool stories that people want to hear about chasing the dream and all that but yeah he loves the words resilience yeah yes (laughs) i knew that you were going yeah and and there's nobody more resilient uh, right i mean because he it's uh you know you can call it reinvention you like you learned to hey just keep going you know and it is kind of a reinvention musically or oh sure we reinvented ourselves several Um, times but then you get to the solo thing which and i i was listening to um your first solo record, Left of Self-Centered, mm. which I love that title, by the way. It's fun. It's, yeah. it's just so cool. It's fun. And I know in the press, people have called you quirky or, you know, whatever. Like, and it's... it's fair. Yeah. <laughs> but I was listening to the first track, Rock Vocal Power, <laughs> and I just thought that was so genius. I just, it just struck me so, as like, this is the coolest thing ever. But it also made me think of people like Frank Zappa. You know, the satirical people who I love too, you know, and and I thought, God, this is so, this is, he's having a little Zappa moment here, you know, where 
it, it's just so as a hero of and mine. i just loved it you know i just love that you opened your not your, many people your are first ready for solo record humor in music right uh and i just always was i've, I've always been infatuated with comedy and with humor and, and dark humor and mm. especially in music every once in a while i feel like it has room it has a, it has its place in rock and roll to not take itself too seriously because i mean i've taken myself seriously plenty of times in songs because i you know spend my time writing songs about you know dark shit that's happened to me but uh, you also have to know that there has to be right. some tongue planted firmly in your cheek yeah the there's got to be some levity and, yeah, and, and I, back then I had a lot more levity than I do now. <laughs> <laughs> I was definitely no, uh, but it was just so ass. great because it's rock vocal power, and then you know the high scream, and then you know it was just it was such <laughs> yeah. a cool, interesting moment, you know. And I thought, God, this is really genius, you know. I really that struck me, and, and then I thought of Frank Zappa, of course, and I thought, oh, he must be a fan of Frank Zappa as well. Very, because, I'm, a, I'm a massive fan. And, and I'm yeah. more of a, a fan of him now than I even was growing up because growing up it went over my head. Right. He, it was, he was just too intelligent. For yeah, me. he was, was, was kind of, talking about a genius. Yeah, okay. and the music was so advanced, obviously, that um, I loved it because I had a, I, I had a jazz up, upbringing as well on guitar. Right. And, um, and so I was obsessed with all of that, but I was not obsessed with playing it for a living. I wanted to play rock and roll for a living. Right. And even Zappa was a little bit over people's heads, and, <laughs> yeah, and mine included it was, as a. It was a but it was a so specific thing that he did. But yeah. it was insp it was inspirational, especially if you go watch the documentaries that have come out on him in the last couple of years, few years. Um, as a musician, I think anyone can appreciate it, even if they don't care about a single note of his music, they will appreciate the genius that he is, and um, and how he never took it. He never took himself too right. seriously. He took the music seriously. The music was the most serious like badass musicianship. I mean, he spawned the careers of so Alice many, Cooper. I mean, Alice yeah. Cooper, his band. I yeah. Mean, he, yeah. He spawned, he spawned the career. Yeah, he did. And he, yeah, he even like that was Alice's first label. Yeah. Right. And uh, I and, did, I didn't know that. Oh, That's yeah. amazing. Wow. And, and, and I mean, he, uh, he, I mean, he's, I mean, he gave Steve I his start. He gave, Adrian Ballou, uh, Terry Bazio, who started Missing Persons with, with one of with, my um, favorite drummers of all time. Is, he's incredible. Who I think is well, so underrated. I don't think people really remember him very much anymore. Right. But no, he was awesome. Warren Cucurello, the guitar player, yeah. from, uh, also yeah. was in Zappa's band. So they started Missing Persons as a side project. Well, I and didn't know got, all those guys came and got from super the, successful from the Zappa thread. That's so amazing. much come, wow. came from, and and like the drummers. I mean, so many. Like I mean, it was just a farm. A music farm. Yeah. Terry Bozio was a drummer I just thought was so interesting and unique. Yeah. You know, just yeah. Set his own like game for himself. You know? Amazing. And the way they'd always put like if you watch the old videos of missing persons or whatever bands, it was they would He put, was like a front man. Yeah, they they would put the drum set at the front of the stage. Uh -huh. He was never willing to sit in the back behind just everybody. This androgynous he was such a little star. You know, him. he had that star power, but yeah. He was so personality driven while he was playing the drums. It was pretty incredible. Have you yeah. seen That's, his kit? Yeah. That? It takes like Three days to set up. Yeah, yeah, it's wild. Oh yeah, is it? I, I no, I'm not no. Total three sixty. Wow. Uh, yeah, Tom yeah. for like two. Tom for every every day of the year. Yeah, so cool. Yeah. yeah, But also the rock vocal power like showed me, um, <laughs> how musically diverse because uh, as I was listening through your catalog and it's all so good and and by the way, um, Afraid of Ghosts thanks. I thought was just amazing because oh, talk about a musical through line and setting a vibe almost like a concept album. I just loved that aspect that it just had that vibe all the way through. Nice. You know, and it kept that vibe to me. That was amazing. And that's awesome. Um but 
like you're very diverse and I love that you're willing to use all those different sides of your voice. Cause I think a lot of artists get into the idea that, you know, okay, this is my thing, mm-hmm. you know, so, and I'm, this is what I do well. And this is the genre that I'm going to write in or stay in. And for, for you, like from quirky, interesting little Frank Zappa moments, like rock vocal power <laughs> to like afraid of ghosts to all your pop stuff. And now I think you just did some stuff with Paris Jackson. Like you did. I did. Yeah. Her, I just did a, her new single. Yeah. Is I did it a, Lighthouse? A, a, did that's coming out. Yeah. Uh, did you work on Lighthouse with her? Or? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, which is one of the first songs that I've heard of hers in a while that I went, oh, wow, yeah. there's something there. Well, that, I love I, all her stuff. I, I met her. I've met her through Snotty. So yeah, that, I mean, that and, one was uh, those uh, was a hook in it, and and her vocal on it's really great. Yeah, I, I just love I, it, I mean, so. I think you're the one who probably told her about about my music. Oh yeah, yeah. And, like, and then we started getting tattoos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then she's she's grown into an incredible. Oh, it's amazing. Artist. Yeah, because we've known her really since she was 17. Well, mm-hmm. you probably met her right around that time as I, well. I don't know when it was. Um, it was. But. It was, a, ironically, it was the same time I met Alice Cooper. 18. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, went to the show. I was 18. He did the guitar solo for 18. What? Oh, yeah. Well, I played live with Alice. Yeah. Oh, you did? Yeah. How amazing. That's one of my favorite. Just high notes. Rite of passage. Just the youth anthem. It was so fun. Yeah. Funny thing is, uh, you had the South Gang leather jacket on that I, night. I broke it out. Yeah. <laughs> of storage. Of archives. It, it still sort of fit, and I wore it It that still night. had that 80s dust on it. That's yeah, good. Yeah. I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah, I was up there playing next to Ryan Roxy and Nina, Hurricane Nita. Oh, my God. Yeah. And uh, and um, Johnny Depp. And, and, and it, yeah, and also, um, uh, yeah, Johnny Depp. And, uh, oh, God, it was, uh, it was a really fun. That was a fun night. That fun was night. like. It was Halloween. It was his annual oh, Halloween show. Halloween uh, was at the Pantag- Palladium. Palladium, right? Palladium. Pantages. The one, uh, Pantages. One of the P venues. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, by the Palladium. But I'm yeah, Actually, that's no, more of a rock venue. It was uh, Pantages, more of a theatrical where they do all the. It was a theater. Plays and stuff. Yeah. It was a theater. Yeah, it was Halloween. Uh, oh, so it was by like, Pantages. Yeah, I think yeah. it was. Yeah. But it was awesome. It oh, was yeah, so that fun. was a night. Oh. That, he came to that show of mine that you night. You came to Paris and I was Halloween party. Of course I did. Like the day before. Uh-huh. And we already had tickets to see Alice Cooper. Yeah. And you were like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be there. I'm going to play. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Alice. I'll be playing me, that lead on AT. Yeah, he asked me. <laughs> he, when I met him, he came to my show because Calico, uh, his daughter, uh, has been coming to see me play for I guess a while, and so she brought she brought Dad to <laughs> to my show when I played at the Terragram. Uh, oh, we were there. That's that was, pretty yeah, cool. That's what I mean. Oh, you guys yeah. were there. Yeah, and um, so I, I that's the first time I met all of you guys backstage. I mean, I knew you, but I yeah. met I met Paris that night, and I met Alice. Oh wow! What and Calico night. brought Alice, yeah. you know, which was cool because he was up in the balcony. I could see him when I was playing. I could see him up there like rocking out, and I'm like, <laughs> my band was coming up and going. Is that Alice Cooper <laughs> up in the fucking balcony? Right. I'm like, it is. The legend. Yeah. <laughs> that was cool. He's so cool. That was when he said, he said, why don't you come play with us at the at our at our Halloween annual bash? I was like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> sure. It just happened. So that like was, what I was wondering. Oh, well, you know, just speaking of Paris, like see her evolution. Yeah. Between just the past couple of years. I know. I know. She's between... really cranked it up, man. She's really yeah. talented. And she brought all those songs in in their in, in you know in their raw state of course and i just helped her finish them but i mean to her credit you know she she had the she had yeah. all the you know she had the ideas and the and and the melodies and the and a lot of the lyrics already Keyword melody 
Yeah. Because I was, I was, I was trying to watch Out of Focus. Um, I haven't seen it yet. Oh, but I wanted to watch it. Yeah. And, um, it, and then, so I had to end up looking up the trailer on YouTube. So I just watched the trailer. Yeah. Out of Focus. But yeah, I, it's a long throw. You probably don't need to watch it. It's very long. No, I want to <laughs> watch it. I know it's going to be amazing. But, uh, the thing about Melody it is that was one of the key, sort of takeaways from that trailer is that when you said, you know, it's really, I'm about the melody. Cause I think as, as, cause I'm a songwriter, mm -hmm. as a drummer, I'm mm -hmm. a singer, more of a top liner, not like you, like massive overall musician. But, um, for me, it's always been about the melody too. And, and we've talked about all our friends that are so technically amazing, whether they're guitar players or singers or whatever, that they forget that it's really about the melody. Yeah, you know, that, that, that's it. you can have a good two, four, six bar melody and blow that up into the most amazing song. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think depending on the that genre, yeah, that little but, seed. You yeah, know? but in rock and roll, I think melody is 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 very important. Yeah. You know, if, and and that's something that I just was attracted to in an early right. age because my first experiences hearing music were right. were um, you know the Beatles, uh, who I discovered after being obsessed with the Monkees. Wow. Because no. I didn't even know the Beatles existed. The I California Sunshine Pop. Well, not the Beatles, but, you know, all those. There was no Beatles records I could remember in my parents' record The Birds? So. No. Yeah, the Birds, no. for sure. Mamas and Papas? Uh-huh, Mamas uh, and Papas, yeah. Beach Boys? Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Beach Boys. Um, I was heavily influenced in later years by the... Um, I was obsessed. By the um, California Sunshine Pop. That, very much, yeah. very much. Like, I remember... Uh, you know, my favorite record at Christmas was the Beach Boys Christmas album. My favorite out, al my first album I ever bought uh, with well, with my parents' money, but it was like five dollars on on the TV was uh, Monkey's Greatest Hits. Wow! Oh wow! So like, which were written by Neil Diamond and all these, of and Carol was. King, all these uh, epic songwriters. songwriters. We're talk about like amazing songwriters. That's what I mean. It was like yeah. the, the, I was really into like the first three things that really kind of turned me on uh, to music and to, to rock was, was prefabricated bands. Cause it was, it was the monkeys. It was the Muppets. Like I would, I was obsessed with the Muppet show. <laughs> as a, animal. Yeah. Animal. He was my right? hero. I wanted to be animal. And also it was like they were they were a puppet band with fake yeah, instruments. They were it was musical. Still awesome. They, had, was they like, were little it, rock stars. So cool. They were Muppet rock stars. Right? Yeah. So, and then yeah. KISS, because that was my first yeah. concert. Amazing. And and KISS was was they put they built that band off the, the Beatles. Like that was their biggest influence was the Beatles. Because everybody sang, yeah, and all the you know it was super melodic hard rock for them. I remember like, going to uh, Dodger Stadium on Halloween. Oh wow! To see Kiss. Wow! It was mind-blowingly great. Amazing. Because you know, you know, I don't care if you hate their simplistic chords or whatever. no. Of course, no. looking back on it, you know, still, if you think they're not the greatest songwriters ever, it doesn't matter. They know how to entertain. They know how to put on a show. And that's so much of what entertainment really is, right? It's Honestly. not. It's not like it's you can't you can't hide the fact that they still sell out arenas and stadiums, and right. they're like seventy years old. Oh my god! It was so amazing. that's not on they're, their twentieth farewell tour. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they're they're not paying for those people to be there. Right. They're getting paid for those right. people to be there. Are they're they're getting paid by those people? Oh my god, it was insane! And, and so, Gene, Gene Simmons still doing the fire breathing, yeah, and I mean, then so it goes they flew to show Paul the power Stanley. of entertainment because they yeah. had a stanchion in the middle of the yeah, Dodger yeah. Stadium, and they flew him on a cable, and it was like 
big, you know, platform boots. Yeah, platform boots with all oh, the all the diamond encrusted, and he's flying overhead. It was just so incredible. I so wanted great. to be that so yeah. bad. Yeah. Like when I was eight years old, what? that was like every Detroit Rock City. City. Yeah, being a Kiss mm. fan, how do you feel about uh, the makeup? The Ace Freely makeup, the Space Ace. Well, that was like Peter Chris makeup. Well, that Ace Ace was like my he was my guitar hero. Oh yeah, like he was my first guitar hero for sure. Did he play Flying V? I forget. No, No. he played Les Paul. Oh, Les Paul. Les Paul. Paul Stanley played a lot of Flying V's. Okay, yeah, I I remember. I can go deep on Kiss trivia. (laughs) That'll be a whole other podcast. We'll do that. It's very sad. Like I know way too much about it, but like that was like I was obsessed. I had the bed sheets. I had the lunchbox. I had the I had the the radio. I had all of their merchandise. I was obsessed, but. You know, seeing that show when I'm eight years old, it kind of made the circus mm. pale in comparison <laughs> for that because that's the first concert I ever saw. Wow. If you can imagine your Psycho first concert, yeah, yeah. yeah, mine was uh, and mine was the Love Gun tour, which oh, was wow. 1977. Wow, and it, was like, it was at the height of You're their. Not that old. I'm 52, <laughs> dude. <laughs> I was eight, and uh, and it was. I mean, you couldn't That's see a show. 50 is the new 40. It's yeah. no big deal. Okay, I'll take it. But like, you couldn't see a, a bigger, crazier, better yeah. rock concert experience in 1977 than that. And so after that, it was like, okay, what else? What else anybody got? Because this is this is gonna be hard to top. Right. And I saw Ace Frehley do his guitar solo. You know, right. uh, his 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 solo solo. And it was, um, you know, he had smoke coming out of the pickups and and had it attached to a invisible cable and it like levitated up into the ceiling. And then he would like, you know, point at it and it would like sparks would fly out of it. And every stoner in there went bananas. And yeah. I was like, OK, I know what I'm doing. But you know what? I'm it would still this. be just as fun today to see that same show that you saw in It is fun to see. Right? I've actually seen it. I've That's seen incredible. it. I've seen it uh, yeah. as of recent. Did and, you take uh, James? Uh, I, t- I took James. Oh, took that's him, so cool. I took him to the like 17th farewell tour. Your son. Uh, you know, yeah. whatever it was, whenever. Yeah, my son, James. Yeah. And um, I took him to see them at the Forum um, mm. a, a few years ago, right? Oh, cool. Yeah, maybe a couple of years ago. I actually too. like that new Forum vibe. It's cool. Oh, it was awesome. Yeah. And um, and and it was incredible, like, to 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 have him with me to see that. Right. Because, um, you know, it was even more elaborate. And, right. You know, like. And it was cool because it's like, here they are still selling out everywhere they go. You know, it says a lot about like, okay, it's not always about uh, being the best musician. (laughs) uh, You know, we're also in show business here. Uh So it's a lot about the show. Yeah, the business called show. A lot of people that can't bring the show (laughs) fade and the people that have the show and maybe not so much of the little little, survive. A little fun inside trivia is that... um, when I moved to LA in '88, <laughs> uh, I took uh, I took my buddy, uh, who I taught how to string guitars, to be my guitar tech, and he was this kid. Because you gotta have a guitar tech. And he was this kid from Rome, Georgia, <laughs> yeah. who was just kind of a you know had a high school education, and that was it. And he like me, and we would when, when we were in when we were in high school, I would we would sleep out on the on the football field in the back of my truck uh, after doing some of these after doing our our like uh, club gigs, right? Because I'd be too hammered to drive home <laughs> and and he and i would pass out and wake up at dawn and then drive home and uh he went to la with us don't and, try this at home oh god no <laughs> and um and so he he became like my guitar tech and he got so good and so insanely talented at, at teching and and redesigning things and all that 
Um, and, and I should also throw in that our base tech uh, out there in LA <laughs> in that time was a guy named Robert uh, and uh, cut to, you know, 30 years later. And I'm at the forum with my son seeing Kiss a few years ago. And still to this day, Kiss's tour manager, production manager is Robert. Wow. What? And, and, oh, and, wow. and, and, uh, and, uh, John Cromer, Larry, who I, who moved out to LA with me from Rome, the guy taught how to guitar string. He's been aces tech for the last like wow. 20 That's years. Amazing. Wow. So they all like, and so, he's, he, he's tech for some of the biggest bands. So you kind of had a, like a small part in history. In history. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's cool because uh, that, that's, that I went to the, they rolled out the, you know, Robert, I think we're learning something new here. This is pretty Kiss cool. Oh, this is pretty awesome. cool. We're learning something new that Witch Walker is a Kiss nerd. And <laughs> I love that. I think that's so cool. Yeah. Well, it's fun. I think that's well, super cool. a little bit of a Kiss nerd, you know. Uh, well, I think mm -hmm. anybody who isn't doesn't get show business because that's, yeah. you know, those guys are really. They wrote the book on it. They did. Mm -hmm. it, you know, with the makeup and just uh, and the fun songs because all their songs are fun, whether you like their music love, or not. I love it. You can't help. Like if you're in a, I remember once I was in um, a South by Southwest, you know, a casino, El Camino, the bar that's right there. Yeah. It's, it's that famous little dive bar. Mm-hmm. And the, and they played these old school playlists, and the Kiss song came on. I think it's Detroit Rock City or one of their, or maybe I want to rock and roll on my one of their. And the whole place just lit up like a Christmas tree. It was <laughs> so cool. Everybody was just like, you could just feel the vibe go up. You know, yeah, it was they just, bring the party for sure. Oh, I love it. Yeah, it was it was amazing. So, so from all the Kiss and all the rock and roll, how did you find yourself in the studio? I found myself in the studio by the time I was about thirteen or fourteen. 14, 15, uh, when not even a studio, just owning uh, a four track, four track, four track yeah. cassette recorder, because, you know, at the time you, there was no, there was no computers, there was no, you know, digi tools, digital recording. Yeah. So if you wanted to make a, de a decent sounding recording, you had to go spend $2,000 a day in a big 24 track, two inch, two -inch tape tape, machine yeah. recording studio with a big console and have also a decent engineer and every, and my, and very expensive microphones and, it was a thing. So it was like to make recordings at home, you had to do them on a four track. That was the only thing affordable. So I Old saved Tascam. Mm -hmm. yeah. Tascam. Yeah. I have, I still, I have a Tascam 388, uh, uh, not 388, Tascam 244. And, um, and that's a four track, uh, <laughs> cassette recorder that I kind of learned how to record on, uh, back in the days. So it's not the same one. I bought it on reverb <laughs> in the last like 10 years. <laughs> I bought one. But um, there, you know, that was cool to learn on because I didn't have any training at all, and I was just like learning how to bounce tracks and overdub and doing it all on a cassette. And um, and so I got because I had to make a recording of our band to get to get a, our 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 hair metal band to get cover <laughs> gigs. Oh, so I had to record a. So cassette. we're going way back to the eighties. Uh huh. Wow. And and so. I learned on that, but I still had my four track whenever we started the band, when we started the, what would become Southgate. And we recorded in my, in my dad's, you know, old mill, uh, we had old, we had an old corn mill on the Creek uh, outside of our, our little farm there. And, um, we, we just recorded everything out there on this four track and recorded some demo that would get us the cover gigs. And it was the one we took to shop out in LA whenever we uh, went out there to get gigs as well. It was on that cassette. Yeah, the DIY. Yeah. And so I just kind of learned from there. And then everything was building blocks very slowly. You know, it was like, oh, 
one of these days I'll get up enough money to, to sell this or trade this four track in for an eight track and have more tracks. Cause it was like really limiting, you know, four tracks was hard to get something really good sound. You could, but it was hard. And, um, you know, you're, if you, especially if you were trying to compete with big studio records right. that they had, you know, 24, 24 tracks at least, uh, at the time, which was a luxury. Um, <laughs> and so I learned, you know, about kind of getting in on eight track and reel to reel. And then I had a 16 track reel to reel recorder. And, um, and by the time I was in, uh, the, when I was making that record, the first, uh, record for what would become my band, the marvelous three in the late nineties, um, Pro Tools was a thing. And I found a, this is a cool story. I actually found, uh, the local music store in Atlanta that I used to like, you know, go in there and like, you know, scrape together for little pieces of gear here and there. <laughs> and I had my 16 track reel to reel, which was already getting very antiquated and, <laughs> and not really, no one was using, everybody was starting to use computers and I didn't yeah. even know how to operate one. I'd never even seen one. So, um, my buddy there, Jerry had a, he had a used Pro Tools rig that had just been traded in for the new and better version of Pro Tools. Cause you know, in that world in digital every year it's obsolete. So they're upgrading it up. And it was also a new pioneering time for digital recording. So it was growing rapidly. The technology was growing. So this was an older with older technology rig that somebody had traded in back to the, and it was traded in by this band, by this R and B group in Atlanta. that was a one hit wonder called Silk. Um, they had a song called I'm Gonna Get Freaking With You, that song. And, um, and so, uh, they had, they had traded it in. It even still had some background vocals on the hard drive. I remember when I got it. Cause, uh, I um, cause, uh, I was, I, I went in and I said, well, you know, I was asking my buddy Jerry at the store. I was like, can you help me figure out how to at least just point me in the right direction on how to even start with this? <laughs> so God bless that guy. I sat on the phone so many times and so many nights going, well, I'm getting this error. Like, well, you know, it was like just so not knowing what the hell I'm doing. And he was just free so, YouTube. He was so patient. Oh, free internet. Technically. Yeah. It was very early internet. Uh, AOL, I think was about the only thing out at the time, but um, I'm probably not as focused as today. No. Pro Tools programs are. It's That's probably right. very, a lot of rabbit holes to go well, down. I, I can tell you it was how archaic it was. It was, um, it, the, the bundle was, it was bundled with an old version of Pro Tools, an old computer, an old outdated Mac computer, um, that was like, you know, beige, you know, and, and, and then it had a, um, two rack space, very big, clunky, external hard drive to record all of the tracks too. And that, that hard drive at the time was the biggest, was like a big hard drive. Like it, it was, it was, I believe it was 500 megabytes. Wow. <laughs> it was something like that. Or maybe like two gigabytes was the, was the size of that was, and that's right. what you, I recorded an entire record to that. Oh my God. Wow. And, um, and so we've I, come a long way. We have it. Thank God. And, and honestly, I couldn't even afford this rig. Even a, even a used one was like five grand, this used whole bundle. I was like, I don't have five grand. I was literally living, squatting at a person's guest house. Like, literally, like that's, I didn't have any money for rent anywhere. I was like, not a pot to piss in. And our band was touring, you know, we were touring every week in our van, just like wherever we could get gigs. But we put the money always back into the paycheck band. to paycheck. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so my girlfriend at the time, 
who was my new girlfriend at the time and who is now my wife. And yeah. she took, she, her, I, it was that Wayne's world moment where I'm passing the guitar store and looking at the strat going, it will be mine one day. Right. And you know, she got the rays I, of sunshine flying off. I was like, I was like, <laughs> I know if I can figure out this like digital recording thing, this pro tools thing or something like this, and I, I think I could really like, I could really compete as a producer and engineer. I just know I could if I could, cause I, it's so un, it's so like opened up a new world of like, of possibilities for recording, uh, especially doing it yourself at home. And, um, and so unknowingly she went and like bought it with her bartending money. Wow. And, That's brought, a move. and brought it home. And I was like, I'm not taking this. I was like, I can't wow, do this. Okay. I was so pride bent, you know, <laughs> I had to do everything myself and, she basically just took no, for, wouldn't take, you know, no for an answer. And I said, I was like, I'm going to pay you back every penny one day. I uh, promise. And then and, you probably realize later, I'll never find another one like her. Oh, hell no. <laughs> Definitely not. You know, because that's, that's quite the move. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty cool. It was cool. And and, and literally, I, the first thing I recorded on it was the Marvelous 3 record that had the song freak of the week on it and that was the version that the radio stations picked up and that played was all over the country and perfect. i got a huge record deal and a huge publishing deal from from electra and from sony wow. and uh so i paid her back <laughs> but like it was like definitely a yeah. cool yeah. it was a cool moment and a cool leap of faith well and also back to the pivotal people that come along yeah you know, along yeah. the way along your journey chasing the dream one of the fear one, not because if you look for them or sometimes even when you're not they're yeah. going to be right in front of you and they're going to do something that's going to change the, the correct yeah and and so you know from that day forward i was able to upgrade my pro school string to it that's you know that's and just amazing. keep going and, and I'm, we're still uh, obviously in in my line of work and as far as in the producer seat we're always doing that we're always like changing you know and upgrading and right. our gear and all that so it's um so that's been a fun it's been a, f a fun profession and hobby all in one you yeah know? i'm still learning yeah. we we're talking about singing and styles too it's like i'm still learning i mean i don't i don't understand why anybody thinks that like you're supposed to like have it all figured out in your 20s right or, or your 30s even it's like what if you're still learning right right yeah i mean well, i'm I think, still learning in my 50s yeah i mean know? i think that's the great thing too you start out chasing the dream you're young and you know you have all these experiences along the way but the dream evolves too yeah and i think that's what we're speaking to right now you it know, does and every day evolves. i hear something that like then, blows my mind yeah like, that somebody yeah. does even a kid yeah. will do and i'm just like this is incredible and, I, and so it'll inspire me and i'll like sometimes change you know mm -hmm. what i'm doing and drop what i'm doing just right. to pursue something else because it kicked my ass so much. yeah one thing that uh how i got hip to butch is um i grew up a metalhead right pantera metallica loved them like yeah love the, it. the heavier the better and that was me around my metalhead friends uh -huh. but then when i'd go home i'd, I'd be listening to everything pop music that was me. songwriter yeah. yeah but like i wouldn't tell my friends that you Same. know but I was I was the kind of kid that like always read the liner notes, and so I'm I'm looking at all these albums and I'm seeing Butch Walker, Butch Walker, Butch Walker. Oh, huh, who's this guy? And this is back in like the LimeWire days where you could like pirate music. Yes. And stuff. So I just punched your name in one day to see like what other artists has he worked with or whatever. I had no idea you had a solo career. Then these songs started popping up. Um, I think the first one I ever heard was "Best Thing You Never Had." Oh wow! Yeah, and 
you were like the first artist I fell in love with without seeing the music video, wow. without anything, so cool. just the music. Like just the music spoke to me. That's awesome. And I could hear the Southern twang so I could relate to it. Yeah. And so like, uh, yeah, that, that was like a huge thing. That's cool. Yeah. That's real Just cool. the music, no image, no nothing. And I eventually bought the record. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I would download the kind of test drop. And then if I liked it, I'd want to support the artist, you know? Well, that's cool. Yeah. That's cool. Even yeah. if you didn't, I would just be glad that anybody's listening. You know? <laughs> right. Oh, there's yeah, a lot yeah. of people listening. <laughs> cool. And then, yeah, I also like how like each album is different. Yeah. You know, as too, you evolve, too, as you grow. That's the fun part about yeah. music is just being able to constantly, like I just said a second ago, being inspired constantly. Um, and and getting the getting that that hall pass to reinvent yourself whenever you fucking want to. Totally. Nobody has to tell you you have to stay the same. <laughs> it might not make your every fan happy, but like they weren't happy every time Bowie put out a new record either. <laughs> right. But it, looking in back in 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 a vacuum, everybody's. What else? Oh, Bowie! Yeah. Fuck yeah. yeah! Like I mean, it doesn't matter what era. You're just like a massive right. fan of Bowie because right. he he comp he he put his hand in every pot and was right. like, I'm going to just try everything. Exactly. And, and it was cool. He challenged his listeners. Yeah. And that was cool. I, I tell a lot of people when I try to describe your music, I go, okay, well, if you were like stranded on an island and you didn't have an iPod, you could only take albums and you had one artist to pick from, I would take a Butch Walker collection. That's cool. Because you can listen to it through and yeah. it doesn't really get old. That's yeah. great. Well, well that's, that's, I think that's also what we're talking about, how it's, it's so amazing because you use so many different sides of your voice, you know, uh, in your musical journey. And again, some people kind of, they find what works for them and they kind of, and that's sure, okay. There's it's, plenty of people that are like, that, you know, know, I like your funnier stuff or I like your sad <laughs> right, shit. Yeah, I like your acoustic but, stuff. Yeah. I like when you shred, you know, it's like, there's all walks of life out there yeah. that, that lo I'm yeah. lucky enough that I've got a few from each walk of yeah. life that come to the shows and, and I'll try to play a little bit of all of it because right. I want them to be stoked, you know, yeah. but at the same time, it's fun for me to kind of dip into all of it again. Yeah, right? exactly. You know? And you still have that like a showmanship. It's fun. With, I love it. The throwing the pick and catching it. <laughs> <laughs> all that fun I cannot, stuff. I cannot get rid of the ham. The, By the, ham the way, is... uh, um, <laughs> on the way to, as your dream evolved, you, um, as we wrap up the podcast, here, sure. Uh, um, I just heard it time and time again, you know, it, it's, Butch is just, so obviously you're widely regarded now as one of the great American songwriters. That's pretty incredible because I think, you know, culturally, as a it's musical nice culture, hear. uh, America has had a great history and we have a lot of, you know, even the Georgia history of Otis Redding and Little Richard, one of the kings of rock and roll, um, uh, Michael Stipe, all these great, and you're mentioned in those same circles now. As James great, Brown. Yeah, all the <laughs> great guys. Did he come out of Georgia club. too? He did. I didn't know that, right. Yeah. Um, and so here you are regarded as this, you know, one of the great American songwriters. Did you ever think, you know, that was going to... I I don't believe that, but mm -hmm. I'm glad to yeah. hear it. It's cool to hear somebody say it. And I, if anybody's ever yeah. written that somewhere, that's really nice. Yeah, well, no, I was, say, I was speaking like, with... Uh, uh, we were talking about when Mark Schummel was on and I went to pick him up and I mentioned you. And that's one of the things he said. He said, you know... Everybody, you know, talks about how, you know, Butch gives away all his best songs <laughs> to others and, and writes them for others. He goes, but honestly, 
I think the stuff that he does on his own records is really his best stuff. Well, that's cool. And then um, some people will believe, that, you know, that yeah. that a hit song is the is the best song. Right. But I don't I don't always think that. I think that sometimes your best songs might be songs that maybe only relate to a, a few a right. few select people, yeah. and you know maybe move them a little more than it would if it were yeah. just some broad message top forty hit. You know, which is cool too. Those songs are great. We need them. Yeah. But um. But yeah, there's no rule on what's a good song and a great song. You know, it's just subjective, right? Right. And it's just being yeah. true to your your own art at the end of the day, and using the and not being afraid to use those different sides of your voice if you feel like it. If you feel like you want to stay in the one thing that you like and you're doing well, that's cool too. But totally, the Ramones were incredible. ACDC, same thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They they perfected a formula. Right. I guess I just never perfected a formula, so I had to jump around and like <laughs> try different formulas. But uh, well, whatever it is, it really worked. I think it's just from growing up at the at the skating rink, uh, drinking the uh, drinking the the soda fountain drink. Where I said, just do all of them in one cup. <laughs> right. Right. And they would make them. They would literally just <laughs> grape, Dr Pepper, the cherry, spray, the Coca Cola. Oh, the, oh, they used to be they, well, they called it suicide. The suicide. Yeah. Oh, the suicide. Yeah. yeah, I used to do that at the Slurpee, the 7-Eleven when they came out with the Slurpee machine. Totally, that's what I mean. The cherry like and some of the blue, of some of, of the Coca-Cola. Yeah, <laughs> you know what's funny? Uh, I, I have a full circle story to share with you. Sycamore Meadows. Yeah, that came out when I was in college. He sang a lot about drinking wine. Yeah, on that record. Yeah, at that point in my life, I was eighteen. And it, all I knew was Bud Light. You know, growing up in the South. You were 18. You know, yeah. Yeah. Bud Light, if you were caught drinking wine, you were like, yeah. You know, know, a sissy boy. Of whatever. course. <laughs> Questions. <laughs> whatever. Whatever it was. Like, you wouldn't be caught dead drinking wine, you know, around like the redneck dudes. Of course. Oh, yeah. Of course. So in college, I'm like, uh, Sycamore Meadows came out. I'm listening to it. I'm like, wow, oh, you know, this. This wine sounds appealing. Like, I'm, I'm going to give this wine. I'm glad I could help. Yeah, right? Indirectly. So I'm like, oh, man. Like, I fell in love with it. Like, That's awesome. You know, I started drinking wine from listening to your music. Oh, yeah. There's a lyric on there. Good, too. Uh, I'm at your house. With, uh, yeah. We went to Ducktown one night in yep. Melville. Yep. Um, it was that night we had the bonfire. Yeah. Do you remember when I spilled the wine? Oh, no, because <laughs> I spill wine all the time. That wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't be the last. Right? That's, what, that's what wine is for. But I remember you pour me a, you pour me a glass, and in my head, uh-huh. I was thinking, oh, wow, this is crazy. This is the guy that turned me on to wine <laughs> indirectly, right? That's awesome. <laughs> and then you were like, yeah, let's get a drink on my fire. I grabbed my jacket. I knocked the wine completely <laughs> off. Uh, I kind of remember that, but like, table. oh, it was so insignificant at the time. But in my head, I was like, no, uh, slow mo, the wine. Oh. Yeah, yeah. But the glass <laughs> didn't break, and we cleaned it right up. Yeah, it did. Thank God for like hardwood floors. Oh man, <laughs> well, yeah. my life is wine proof. Oh right. Well, and me, by the way, my, talk about my, that. Life, my life is spill proof. I, I have to make sure of that. Yeah, and then for snotty full circle fan, super fan moment you know, <laughs> to go from being, uh, cause he showed me pictures when he was young and just going to your shows and pictures that he took with you. And then full circle, he's like spilling wine at your house. I love it. Cause I you guys are it. hanging out in your friends now. So that's pretty cool. That's, yeah. that's welcome. That's welcoming you to the club. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. 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 Thank you so much for coming on today. It's, it's just been really, a lot of fun. So fun. Yeah. yeah.
Yeah, yeah glad to be here, man. Yeah. Yeah. I think the listeners are going to hear some new stuff yeah. that they didn't know about you, too. Good. That you know yeah. so much about Kiss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, always. <laughs> no, we love uh, Kiss. You have a new record coming out, right? Uh, it will be out probably this fall. Yeah, I've got a record that I'm, I just finished. So I'm just kind of just starting to get all the visuals together for everything. But again, it's, uh, you know, it's a different ride. Yeah, so, yeah. good. That's what okay. that's what I think people expect always from something, you now. You wanna, but it's always something diving into yeah. like the, the the bag of influences. I think that's your jam now. It's got to be something different. If you're doing the same thing all the like that's not Butch Walker. Butch I just Walker don't want to do stuff. the same record yeah. every time. But I think yeah. the common thread is I I obviously have a thing songwriting wise. I definitely yeah. write a certain way. So you know if you like that kind of songwriting, then I think people will dig it. You know, yeah. but it's definitely an ode to like my 70s like piano rock balladeer guys Ooh, i so, like i like the sound of it already yeah it's fun it's based on a it's loosely based on a character uh who's basically just you know uh in his 50s uh who's <laughs> been playing who's which been is playing, the 40 who's been playing bars his whole life and he's just a bar singer and it's a whole it's like the ballad of the bar singer is the whole oh, theme right. of the i love it record so it's kind of cool uh, yeah. Is that what the album's going to be called? It's going to be called, right now it's going to be called uh, Glenn, which is my great uncle's name and my middle name. Okay. Who's a character, but like, it's kind of like a... And it's the character of the album. It's obviously. the character in the album. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Perfect. Yeah. Tired of myself. <laughs> <laughs> so, All fun. right. Yeah. Well, there we go. Uh, Revelation Podcast. Yeah. Thank Here we are. Much. Thanks for... Uh... Thanks for being with us. Today. Thanks, Thanks for, for sharing me. your revelations. Your revelation story. And for everybody listening, more more really great stories and guests to come. Keep listening to the Revelations podcast. We're out. Awesome. Oh, that was so much fun. That was great. Yeah. <laughs> oh, was oh my God. Super good. <laughs> <laughs>